right, all right, all right. I'm Joe Turner, and this is the City Manager Unfiltered Podcast, a podcast for city managers and other public sector executives. I'm really eager to get into this chat and update with my friend, Daniel Rosemond, who has been on the show multiple times in the past. He is the author of Death of the Public Servant, an excellent book, a must-read book for all the uh, municipal executives out there listening to the podcast. Uh, Daniel, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Thank you, my friend, for having me back. Uh, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to, ca- to catch up. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, um, we've developed a little bit of a relationship since we spent hours and hours talking about your story on the podcast and also offline. We've checked in multiple times with each other since the podcasts have aired. And uh, Daniel, we I received tremendous feedback uh, on the podcast episodes. Your episode, uh, episode 10, is the second best performing episode in my catalog. Uh, what kind of feedback and reactions have you gotten from folks in your social circle? Very, very um, encouraging feedback. Um, several individuals have reached out to me privately. They've messaged me um, telling me, thank you for sharing your story. Um, they've uh, told me that they also went through maybe not an exact experience, but a similar experience. And, and it was great to hear someone expressed the things that were expressed in the book. Several people have reached out and we've had, you know, video conferences. That's been really, really encouraging just to, just to talk, just to let people um, express the things that they went through and the things that they're still reeling from. And so having a, a small part in, in that healing process, I think, is a good way of describing it, has been really, um, really encouraging. I never thought that me telling my story would have that kind of an impact, but I'm glad that it has. I feel the same way about the podcast and my LinkedIn experience as you do, Daniel, with your book and so forth. I think it's just that connection, uh, making that connection with folks has really been powerful and had a huge impact on uh, those of us in our in our peers. It's just been overwhelming. It's been one of the most overwhelming and fulfilling unexpected side effects of doing this podcast and this LinkedIn is is having people who uh, work in the profession reach out and talk about how much it's meant to them to hear the podcast or the interviews and so forth and so on. I, I'm sure you've received, like I said, uh, similar feedback. Yeah. One of the more sensitive points we talked about in the betrayal of the public servant was how some folks had kind of maybe walked out of your life or abandoned you or, or kind of disconnected from you. And, and we talked a little bit about how when the book came out and, and you won your, your judgment, so to speak, that maybe some people started coming back in. Can you elaborate a little bit more on how that's been going as far as those relationships and what's, are you, are you just developing completely new social circles now as a result, or are you welcoming these people back in your life? Can you just walk us through? Because also when you, we concluded the book, the interview, you were living in California and I believe you're also now in North Carolina, I believe. Correct. Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the social circles have pretty much, you know, been non-existent. Um, There's a, a few, maybe a small handful, Joe, of people that used to be close. And I can't even think of anybody uh, off the top of my head. It's it's almost like you just turn the page completely and, and you're hitting the reset button and you're starting all over, making new connections, yourself included, and, and really identifying the fact that the people that, that used to be really close or used to know all about you are no longer really a part of your, your daily you know, journey. And so having to, to rethink the importance of those things has been really interesting. It used to be a significant part of my life. You know, you had a network of people that, you know, had known you for 20, 25 years. And now those folks are no longer there. So it's almost like this void of people that used to know all about you. And now you're having to kind of reintroduce yourself to a, a new set of people. So it's been it's been challenging, but at the same time, it's it's also been um, somewhat refreshing to to not have to deal with that part of it, you know, because there was a lot of pain associated with with their you know betrayal and and you know kind of standing at a distance, if you will. Yeah, leaving you hanging and, and abandoning you in your time of need, right? So now you got these, you're developing new friendships and relationships with people who have a clean slate, right, right. and that you get to start on a on fresh footing with them. And, and by the way, just being in a, in a different geography is also helpful. Um, that's something that I, I think a lot of folks, one of one of the folks that reached out, we talked about, you know, when you go through a very traumatic situation, 
changing the the landscape of where you are and not having those uh, geographic reminders. Yeah, yeah, it it does help. And for me and, and my family, I think we talked about the fact that moving to California was that first step, and now in a new geography. So you're just really learning, uh, you know, how to get around a new city, and that part helps. You know, it helps a lot. What what else do you do now? Because you're working um, uh, in your nonprofit, and I assume you're working primarily out of your home. I, maybe I'm mistaken on that. I didn't ask you that specifically, but obviously you're not in a traditional workplace now, where you're surrounded by a bunch of either uh, colleagues or coworkers or peers. You're not going to these regional sort of you know metro meetings with fellow city managers and so forth and so on. You're not being invited to you know these grand openings, yada yada yada, right? <laughs> the, the city manager life, right? Right. So what are you doing now to explore sort of your or build these social connections or how do you interact with folks? I'm not sure if you're going to church out there or what, just kind of elaborate more on what you're doing on the social mental health aspects of, of your life. Well, yeah, we, we obviously want for us, as, as I shared with you, you know, church and, and our faith walk is a really important component. So yeah, we've, we've joined a church um, that we've been regularly attending. We haven't yet started building those social connections. We're, we're taking our time, you know, we're not trying to be, um, I think, so eager to have those things replaced. We went through a lot of that hurt, not just myself, but my wife and, and the girls as well. So we're really taking our time to, to really reconnect or, or establish new connections on a social aspect. Professionally, I've been building, continuing to work my nonprofit. As I mentioned before, we have operations in California and in Florida. Um, even though I work out of my home in Charlotte, but we have business operations in both of those states. I'm looking to establish a, a business operation here in um, in the North Carolina area. As a matter of fact, one of the people that reached out following our podcast was a, a former executive who was here in, in the North Carolina in Mooresville, uh, Randy Heeman, and he is now, I believe, in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. He connected me with one of his assistant city managers, and we've had a couple of conversations about offering, you know, our services as affordable housing developers and consulting in that, in that space. Before we, before we jump into that real quick, Daniel, can you remind the folks what your organization's name is and what you do? Because for those who are maybe just listening to this episode the first time and haven't listened to the previous episodes that aired a few months back, can you just walk people through what you're currently doing and and whatnot and plug your organization? Thank you, sir. East to West Development Corporation is the name of our organization. It's etwdc.org. Um, and we are a nonprofit affordable housing development organization. I also do a, a, an aspect of my company is that we do affordable housing consulting. Um, some organizations that may not necessarily be ready for development. Um, I've got a client in Florida that I've been doing consulting work with them for the past three years in that space. Um, and it's a really um, interesting part of the work because a lot of cities or municipal managers know about the need for affordable housing, but they don't really know how to get there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They don't understand the nuances of it. And that's a space that I've been really proficient in for the past 20 years. And so I've offered, you know, my services from that standpoint to as many people as I can. And the way I frame it is we, we come alongside and become a partner to those municipalities that have that need but don't really understand how to execute the, the needed housing stock or policy parameters, et cetera. So that's what, what we do, East to West awesome. Development Corporation. Awesome. And, you know, in the, uh, in the, we had a three-part interview series, and I forget what part, it might have been multiple parts. I, I did put out a sort of a, a call to our fellow city managers out there to say, hey, you know, uh, when one of our brethren uh, or sisters is going through some tough times, they've gone through an experience, we need to reach out. And we need to do our best to help them, right? And and throw them a bone, so to speak, right? I mean, it was, you know, you went through a very traumatic experience, and I remember going through the interview with you. You thought, hey, okay, I can I can dust myself off, pick myself up. I'll have some colleagues throw me some some consulting work, and and I can get through this. We can muddle through it while we're trying to figure out what the next steps are. And obviously, um, that didn't really quite happen, but. 
through this podcast, you had Randy Heeman in Mooresville, the city manager of Mooresville, who's now in Oak Ridge, and uh, he reached out to you. And then you also had, uh, I think, Bradley Ford in Waco, Texas, also reached out to you. And I think you guys are actually doing some work out there. Or, Indeed. Um, I actually just signed, like literally a day ago, just signed a uh, consulting engagement with Waco, Texas. And I'm happy to, I'm eager to start work on that. They have a need to help them um, spend down or update their spending plan for the um, recovery funds that they receive from the federal government. I'll be assisting their team, their staff, in modifying the plan so that they can be compliant with that. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting started on that. That's awesome. And, and uh, hat tip to uh, to Bradley out in Waco. That's a, He's a stand-up guy. And- Indeed. I know he's reached out to me numerous times on other issues to offer support and whatnot. And so I'm really glad to hear that you had a couple of our colleagues reach out and uh, try to give you some help in some way and help you with your business. So that's fantastic. And, and you know, Joe, on, on that note, just briefly, I want to just say that when municipal executives do that, this is really not about a charity, even though we are a nonprofit. This is about identifying that there's a, a need that all municipal executives face. You just don't ever have enough staff to be able to get done everything that needs to get done. And sometimes you just need um, expertise that come in and fill a gap for a, a season. And really, that's what we're looking to do. I'm not looking to get anybody's charity. You know, we're going to we're gonna right. do our work and we're going to produce a, a product or a deliverable that meets what the need is and making sure that that is satisfactory. So I, I just wanted to say that because I don't want... Your list. Oh, yes. Yep. Perhaps, you know, hey, you know, yeah, we'll give that person a charity. No, no, no. This is not about a charity. This is about, hey, we have a need and, and perhaps this individual with their experience can help meet that need. Uh, absolutely. And thank you for clarifying that, Daniel, because I didn't want to give that impression either. We definitely want to make sure we're honoring and respecting our taxpayers dollars, the hard earned dollars and and uh, we, got, we want to make that money, make sure that money is spent as efficiently and as effectively as possible. But when we do have city managers out there who are subject matter experts in certain areas and we can help out and, and work with each other, why, why hire a, you know, a Fortune 500 consulting firm when you have, a, you know, an individual um, member in the community sure. who needs some help? So, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, I guess now is probably a good time to just go into your case a little bit, Daniel. So when we, when we last left off on the podcast... You had uh, won your verdict and you'd won a judgment, a multi-million dollar judgment. We had learned that Hallandale Beach had filed an appeal. They were going to contest that in the, the courts, which is obviously their right to do so. We talked about in the third episode, the betrayal of the public servant, where my mind just sort of uh, got blown and uh, I got really pissed off about it, is that uh, the Florida League of Cities filed an amicus brief on behalf of Hallandale Beach and against you. Uh, in their appeal hearing. And we'd also learned that the Florida City County Management Association had sat on their hands and and not answered any call to help you at all or done anything in that regard. Uh, We learned that the regional, um, I think it's the Miami-Dade County Association of Managers, I forget the name of it, they they didn't uh, turn out to help you at all. And we also learned that the ICMA, the International City and County Management Association, ignored your calls for any help or assistance. They even return a call when they're trying to get your... Did you ever get your book in the ICMA online category? uh, online library? No, sir. Didn't even get a, a response to my e- m- multiple email uh, requests to the uh, okay. in there. But but I'm not I'm not surprised. Well, I mean, to anybody who thinks I'm picking on the ICMA, right? Which I, I I you know I criticize the ICMA and I call them out. I mean, they have a city manager who's written a book that I think is very powerful, very impactful. And uh, you came and get a callback on trying to get your book on their online library to try to get some you know some modest sales and exposure for your title. Uh, I just think it's despicable. It's disgraceful. And I'll leave that commentary for for another day, another podcast. Um, but Daniel, so be that as it may. Where do we stand now in this appeal? So last I heard, you were going to have something, uh, I think, in October. And what's, what's going, just walk us through where we're at. Sure. The um, last time that you and I talked about this, we were waiting for the last round of the response to the motion. It's, it's three rounds. So the city submits their appeal. Then we have a certain number of days to respond to the uh, appeal motion. And then the appellant in this case, the city of Hallandale Beach has another bite at the apple. So that finished and it was submitted um, in October. And then we had to wait until the appellate court, which in this case is the fourth district court of appeals in Palm Beach, until they actually 
set uh, a date. Now, for the listeners, appellate court doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have another hearing. Sometimes once the motion is filed, the appellate court will issue its ruling on the appeal. In this particular case, the city, in their final motion, decided that they wanted to have oral arguments, which means that they come before the judges that are going to be um, ruling on this particular appeal to make their case. Um, My attorney said they typically will grant oral arguments when it's requested, and that that oral argument was indeed granted. And we just this week, as a matter of fact, found out that the oral argument hearing is scheduled for February the 13th, 2024. So just under 60 days from, from today. Okay. So just to, just to summarize this, when you go through the appeal process, the appellate court can basically say, Hey, we're going to hear this appeal. And then they can just look at all the stuff that's already transpired, essentially review it and then issue a ruling either in your favor or in favor of the, of the, the person, the organization making the appeal or the defendant or, or whatnot. Right. Right. The appellant, the appellant, whatever. Now in your instance, the, the city is actually asking to make oral arguments and the court granted them that ability to make oral arguments about this case. And you guys have the ability to do your own rebuttal as well, sort of like a, a mini shortened trial, for lack of a better word. Yes, it's um, according to the um, to the order, it's 15 minutes for, per side. So each side gets 15 minutes to make any kind of presentation that they want before the appellate court. Again, they've got all of the motions already submitted, and you would assume that either the judges or their legal clerks have already already reviewed it. And so the oral arguments are just a, an additional avenue for them to highlight whatever it is that they want the appellate court to really focus on. So that, that's coming up, as I said, February 13th. Okay. And where did, if, 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 refresh our memories, I believe you filed, when did you file your lawsuit? Originally? Yeah, originally, <laughs> like seven years ago, right? January the um, 17th of 2017. And so this this year um, will be seven years. Uh, as a matter of fact, the end of this month, December, it'll be seven years since I was let go from the city of Hallandale Beach. It's hard yeah, to I, I wasn't going to bring that up I, per se because I know it's a sensitive time. Of it, because I remember the whole story. <laughs> yeah, the December was an interesting story arc, right? Because you're yeah. getting ready to go on vacation for yeah. uh, for the holiday, for Christmas, and whatnot, and the, and your mayor. Uh, that scumbag that he is, he decided to play these games and, and whatnot. We won't go down that road. You can, anyone can listen to the other episodes. But, so you have this appeal that's going to happen this hearing on the 13th. Okay. At the 13th, final, final judgment gets rendered that day. You can put a, put a bow on this bad boy and you're going to learn, you're going to learn whether you're finally victorious and or not, or walk us through that component now, Daniel. All right. So here's a little bit of, um, muddied water. So the appeal um, in my particular case hinges on a a couple of different things. The primary focus of the appellant of the city is non-economic damages. Now, in my particular case, as you remember, Joe, uh, the judge or the jury awarded back pay and then non-economic damages and then a breach of contract. So those three components. Later on in 2022, we had a bench trial where the judge awarded the front pay component. Right. So the appellant is is essentially appealing all of all four of those things. Okay. The, the primary one, the, the big ticket number, is the non-economic damages. In Florida, and I'm not sure if this is the case in other um, states, but in Florida, the Florida Public Whistleblowers Act precludes non-economic damages. In other words, you're not entitled to it, which is really a separate conversation. However, there was a ruling um, in 2016 by the third district court of appeals uh, in a case entitled Iglesias versus the city of Hialeah, where the third appellate court ruled that non-economic damages should be awarded in this particular case because it was a, a public whistleblower case. So that component, the Iglesias ruling by the third DCA is the primary element of the appeal because it's the big ticket in terms of the award in my particular case where the fourth DCA will have to rule. 
Okay. So a couple of things will happen. If the fourth DCA agrees with the ruling of the third DCA, then for all intents and purposes, everything ends right there and there should be no further appeals. Well, let me stop you there, Daniel. Let me stop you there. I'm sorry. Sure. Wouldn't the appellant still have the ability to appeal to the Supreme Court or well, am I getting ahead of you? You you are. I was going to go there. But okay, sorry. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> so if, if, if the fourth DCA, which is where my the appeal in my case is, is going, if they agree with another court, then it pretty much ends right there. The appellant could be granted an appeal, but it really is subject to the appellate court. If, however, the fourth DCA disagrees with the third DCA, then our side would say, well, we want to appeal that ruling and it has to go to the Florida Supreme Court. Okay. So it really depends on the position that the fourth DCA takes if they disagree with another appellate court. And so, you know, the, the bottom line is in, in my particular case, it's a pretty significant case because it involves a whistleblower action and the non-economic damages. And that's something that if this, if we were private sector employees and all of us read the news, as a matter of fact, just in recent news, the ruling against Rudy Giuliani over against Shea Moss, who was the election supervisor in Georgia, the judge awarded almost $150 million. Now, Rudy Giuliani is not a public figure even though he was working for a public figure. So he he was, it was a defamation case. So in, in terms of the public employees and your particular audience in this podcast, the one thing that we have to understand is that the laws are different if you're a public employee versus if you're a private sector employee. And if you blow the whistle, let's say you work for Apple, if you work for some other company, the public whistleblower law allows you to get what's called pain and suffering or non-economic right. damages for floor, uh, for um, public employees no no such no such animal uh, really exists outside of this particular ruling with Iglesias versus city of Hialeah so we'll see how how it plays out fascinating you know and it's interesting because in order to be a whistleblower most employees public sector employees have to go through a lot of risk, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of emotional pain and suffering which goes through that battle of hey, do I want to be a whistleblower? Do I want to risk my career and all that stuff, right? I mean, look at this, look at, you know, it's a fascinating argument because I know a lot of your situation was in part impacted by the COVID pandemic, which was obviously a, a once a lifetime uh, anomaly. But even still, we're talking about a multi-year process where you as an individual are fighting for justice and you're supposed to withstand this you know justice system process that is so convoluted, so expensive, and just just for back pay and front pay. I mean that just seems to be a little bit uh, that seems to be a disincentive to encourage whistleblowers. If the whole idea is you want good government, right, and you want you accountability, right? right, and you want to protect the taxpayers, then you should make it easier for whistleblowers to blow the whistle and call out fraud, call out ethical abuses and call out illegality so that the employees are incentivized to do the right thing because if the system's against you, there's really not an incentive to do the right thing. I mean, the, the reality of the matter is if you didn't have your attorneys working on a contingency basis, this, this we wouldn't be having this conversation today. You would have packed up your bags and gone away a long time ago and you would have just been one 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 individual in the annals of history who got beat by the machine, beat by the man, and didn't have any recourse. I wouldn't have been able to pack up my bags because I couldn't afford to pack them up. I would have had to leave, <laughs> I would have had to leave all of my meager belongings there. But but the reality is that in and you expressed it correctly, Joe, and that is there's a lot of risk if you're an employee, if you're a public employee at whatever level. In this case, executive level, where you have exposure to the inside information, right? Because you're in those meetings, those those closed sessions, you're having discussions with the elected body. And so you have access to the nitty gritty as it relates to the organization. And so if in fact you happen to find that there is something illegal, immoral outside of the boundaries of good governance, and if you don't have an ability to say, hey, this is wrong, and I have to say something. If you don't, that person doesn't speak up, then what can we expect with the rest of the organization? 
So the fact is that if you don't have a provision for non-economic damages, in other words, blowing the whistle or speaking up, essentially you're kind of, you get that scarlet letter on you. Nobody else wants to touch you. So right. if you've been in this in this industry for any significant amount of time, now you all automatically have to figure out now what, what am I going to do? Because the next employer sees that you have been part of a litigation and no recruiter, whoever it is, they're not going to put you on the short list, regardless of how good you are, regardless of your credentials. They're just not going to take that risk because there's other people that they can consider other than you. So the law in this particular case is really disproportionately favoring the organization, the municipal government. And back to your point about the Florida League of Cities, that was the argument that they made in their amicus brief that a judgment for of this magnitude is going to significantly affect municipal organizations, to which I say, if the municipal organizations would do right, they wouldn't have to worry about it, right? So yeah, they, yeah. They, I mean, it's gonna it, it's gonna impact organizations in the sense that people are blowing the whistle on bad behavior, fraudulent bad activity, behavior. illegality, yeah. things that they shouldn't be doing. That's the kind of you. That's the that's the impact you should want to have. That's why I've never understood the the FLC amicus brief. And as you said in the uh, previous podcast, one of the reasons why the, you believe the FLC, I believe, was involved is that the attorney representing Hallandale Beach is also an attorney that works for the Florida League of Cities. Correct? Or there's some connection there? Correct? Yes. Correct. Correct. So, I mean, there's, there's, again, there's this whole conflict of interest there in that regard. And you wonder how much influence the FLC attorney, who's also representing Allendale Beach, had on their decision-making ability. And then you throw in the connection between the FLC and the FCCMA, which they're attached at the hip, working in the same building, sharing resources, which is an obvious conflict of interest when it comes to a city manager in your, your situation who's fighting a, a legal case. It's just, man, there's just a lot of red flags in that whole situation. Yeah. Um, yeah. But... I don't know if you want to get into this or not, Daniel. It might be a little bit out of bounds. How optimistic or encouraged are your is your legal counsel with respect to the fact that they have this third district in Hialeah um, decision, which is, I guess, at odds with the state law? What are, what are the thoughts or what, what kind of mindset, demeanor? What, where are you at mentally in this whole process? My attorneys, you know, um, the, the primary attorney um, who is the chair of the employment division. Is, you, can give a, you can give his name and give him a shout out. Yeah, Brian, Brian Lerner, absolutely, of the firm Kim Von Lerner, one of the best firms and best team of attorneys that I've ever encountered. And that's not an exaggeration or an embellishment. They are really phenomenal. But Brian's take is, you know, this is a real interesting case. This is a very unique uh, case. My My particular case, a lot of the accusations, a lot of the smearing of my record was done publicly. So it's not like it's hearsay evidence. It was all on the public record. There was a violation by the city organization, numerous violations. And and all of these elements, all of these violations were presented as evidence before a group of impartial uh, citizens in Broward County. So this is not Daniel Rosemond's word against the city of Hallandale Beach. When the evidence was presented, the jurors made their their ruling and decision. So that should be sufficient, one would think, to conclude the matter. But suffice it to say, the city is choosing to to push back on on that and and really leaning on their disagreement with the third district court of appeals ruling on the Iglesias case. So my attorneys feel like it could go either way. And and so it's really, it plays on my mind because of, you know, the emotional strain that it is. You know, you go through all of that where you just tell your story before the jury and it was nine grueling days of trial only to be victorious and now to have to essentially relive all of that, not to the full extent, but emotionally it's you're reliving it all over again because all of that could be turn on its ear. So, yeah, I mean, including the front pay and the back pay. I mean, yeah, everything, I mean, everything was in, included in their appeal. Yeah. 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 And uh, Brian Lerner's a good guy. Uh, you uh, put me in touch with him recently. I was uh, going through some issues myself in uh, out here in Florida and uh, him and I had a, an interesting chat recently. And uh, thank you for connecting me with him. 
you're going through this uh, case and this appeal, Daniel, and there's a chance that it might not end here in February. That might keep on going on, right? And the reality is, is that if the court rules in your in, against you, right, and rules in the favor of Hallandale Beach, then you talk about possibly appealing this to the Supreme Court, right? Right. But that obviously has risk and time and, and financial component too. Um, I guess that would reopen possibly. I guess a negotiation for a settlement avenue because that's that's still an option available to both parties in order to enter some sort of mutually agreed to settlement. Is that a, is that correct? The the settlement option or the negotiations for a settlement, in my mind, are always open. You just have to have willing participants. So both sides have to be willing to have good faith negotiation. And 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 I will tell you, Joe, that because the city is represented by somebody who I do not respect and dislike, and I don't believe he is being truthful about the city's chances with this appeal is is not something that makes sense. You, you don't trust that they are going to be negotiating or, or communicating the actual elements of, you know, what's at stake. Now, to the governing body, right? You mean yeah, to the, the governing training. body, to, yeah. the, to the decision makers. Now, keep in mind, and this is another element to this, and I, I can't remember if we covered it, but the people that are making decisions on this are not personally having to ever write a check themselves. Right. And so that part, and to your listeners, the, the thing that really irks me is that city managers or public sector executives who have gone through anything like this, the people that are making the decisions are writing the check on the backs of the taxpayers. Right. So if the check is big or small, they're never personally liable. The ultimate focus and the ultimate burden lies with people like you and I who are having to go through that. And you're having to make those decisions to say, I'm going to cut bait here because I just, I don't have enough money or time or emotional capacity to continue, you know, this endeavor ultimately at the behest of a, of a court that you don't know how they're going to rule. Whereas the, the cities can pretty much kick the can down the road for as long as they want to. And yeah. that's something that is really, you know, I, I really believe that the behavior, the bad actors in municipal governments and local governments, it's not going to change until we're able to make those individuals who personally accountable, personally accountable. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If it doesn't hit people in the pocket, it's not going to change. And you talk about that in detail in your book, Death of the Public Servant, which uh, I will link to in the podcast notes. I have it on my podcast website. We've talked about, you talk about that, uh, the immunity aspect and how it sort of encourages, not sort of, it does, it, it does encourage and incentivize bad behavior because there's really no consequence on behalf, on the part of the elected official when they step out of lines, right? You know, the way it traditionally works is uh, an elected official makes a mistake, does something wrong or unethical. And if there's a lawsuit, generally speaking, it's settled. Usually uh, the, the, the insurance company is going to pay the bulk of it. And right. then the organization doesn't feel it, right? And the taxpayers, if they get to a settlement, they're the ones that are going to feel it. Ultimately, it's not the individual elected official, which makes it a very frustrating uh, experience, uh, obviously, for the, the manager or anybody who's a plaintiff in a case. You know, one of the things I was really disturbed about is I reached out to Mayor Joy Cooper and I reached out to the city clerk out there to try to get information about the costs that they can't, that the taxpayers of Hallandale Beach have been bearing or paying for the legal, legal, legal fees. Yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah. And, you know, they wouldn't give me that data unless I paid a couple hundred bucks for it, which I thought was just absolutely ridiculous. And I talked to Mayor Joy Cooper and I said, hey, you know, how come you can't request this data? You know, this be you're you're the elected official. Don't you want to know what you're paying, uh, what your city's paying on legal bills to fight this case against uh, Daniel Rosemon? And she gave me sort of a politician's response and and criticized me actually on LinkedIn at one point and said that I was behaving. I forget, I forget exactly what she said, but she she basically chastised me and my approach for trying to get this information or circumventing the the public uh, information request process. But I thought that was absolutely bogus because as the mayor and elected official of an organization, you have every right to request this information. And if you want to request it and then send it out to the public, you can do so. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. It's just really frustrating. And there's no media covering it down there. Well, I can tell you this, Joan. The, the mayor wouldn't have had to request, wouldn't have had to point you in the direction of their 
clerk because um, the city attorney's office periodically provides reports to the elected officials on open litigation and how much they've spent because it's a budgetary issue, right? So if you, okay. even if you've engaged outside counsel, the city attorney's office has to provide those updates periodically to let them know this is where things stand. So I am certain that the mayor already knows what those legal fees are. It, it was not something that she needed to have requested or the, you know, point you in the direction of the clerk to be able to request. What I believe is that it's certainly something that is an embarrassment to the city where they don't want to have to disclose how much they've already spent and continue. You know, the, the meter keeps running right. on, on this issue. And and so it, it is certainly something that it's frustrating to me. Um, and I obviously have an ulterior motive, but if I were a neutral party, you would think if the chances of you winning the appeal, even if you win, you're still going to be responsible for something. So it's almost like you you shaved off your, your judgment responsibility, but you've increased your legal fees. So what did you yeah. really accomplish? Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So it almost doesn't, doesn't really make sense fiscally, right? The whole thing is really, really frustrating. And, and I know that your listeners are aware of, of that because many administrators are on the other side of that. When you've got cases, you know, litigation, it's a trip and fall, you know, somebody, you know, one of your public works trucks, you know, hit someone or whatever, you have to, you know, do your cost benefit analysis. And you realize that oftentimes there is a liability there and you just have to write the check and, and deal with the bad behavior. If it's a, an employee who's got a bad driving record, you address that behavior or that performance in this case because the behavior was at the elected level, as we were talking, there is no real accountability and there's no real um, chastisement for that. That was one of my points about, you know, the frustration with the Florida League of Cities. If they really wanted to exercise or flex their muscle, what I would have encouraged them to do is flex their muscle and provide training and accountability to those elected officials to make sure that that doesn't happen and use this as a poster child case of, hey, don't do this anymore, you know, for right. all of the, the cities, the 400 and some odd cities in the state of Florida, you don't ever want this to happen to you. And, and that to me would have been a much better use of their resources than to file that amicus brief. But that's, you know, of course, I have a, a sl slanted view on that. Absolutely. Yeah, I understand. I understand where you're coming from completely, but it is just so frustrating to see you know, for me, it's just so frustrating to see you go through this experience. Obviously, you're living it, so it's much more impactful on you. But, you know, to have a justice system that is where, the, you know, the deck is stacked against you, you have the system itself, you know, public information requests and information, things of that sort of nature where it's stacked against you and, 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 and no one's covering it, no one's talking about it. It's just, it's just frustrating. A lot of people have criticized me. I should say a lot. I get criticism on my stuff on, you know, attacking the ICMA or being criticism, you know, critical of the ICMA and of the FCCMA and the FLC. And you know what? I don't give a shit about their criticism. You know, what I give a shit about is the fact that we have city managers and public sector executives out there who are having their livelihoods taken from them, who are being ripped from them, having their careers threatened, their reputations damaged because elected officials are behaving badly and no one's going to say a goddamn thing about it. And it just pisses me off. You know, I, I just absolutely pisses me off and it really annoys me. You know, it, it's kind of like, I'm going to segue into a little bit something um, because I, I talked about this in uh, the episode on the uh, suicidal city manager. I forget mm -hmm. the episode number, but I've been episode eight with Stephen Wade. You know, um, I was sexually abused as a child, middle school age. And, you know, we have a lot of these organizations in America, whether it's the Boy Scouts or it's the Catholic Church or whatnot, where bad things are happening to children, right? And it seems to be that people are more committed to wanting to protect and defend the institution than going to bat for the victims, right? Or the people who are advocating for the victims. You know, when I when I speak up for uh, individuals like you or James Freed and I'm criticizing the ICMA or whatnot, is people want to attack my tone or they want to attack what or they want to attack what I say or my agenda, but nobody really wants to talk about the individuals who are being harmed or damaged by these organizations for either what they're doing or what they're not doing. And it just always boggles my mind that people are more apt to criticize the individuals who are trying to hold these institutions accountable 
but not the individuals themselves. Like, you know, I got city managers who will publicly criticize me and say things about me because I'm going after the ICMA, but they won't say a damn thing about the organization that they're a member of. In fact, they'll defend their organization, say that their member, their organization doesn't need to be criticized, that the organization has done nothing wrong. Or, you know, you have, you have to go through the justice, pro, the, the justice system and let, you know, both sides get their, their fair day in court or yada, yada, yada. You know, it's just all these histrionics and, you know, uh, gymnastics to dodge having to be held accountable for the organization that you're a member of. You know, if you're a member of these organizations, then freaking stand up and be accountable and hold your membership accountable. Let me just say this, though, Joe, to those that would be critical. The ICMA and all of those other organizations have had ample opportunity to come on your show and be able to share their perspective on the James Freed situation, as well as everything else that you have put out there. So if, you know, if you perhaps disagree with anything that this podcast has has put out, you've been very, very open and clear that, hey, everybody can come on here and be able to have, you know, kind of a good tennis match. It's like, okay, I'll serve it up. You can return it. <laughs> you know? I'd, I'd love that. I'd love it. Hey, if someone has the balls to come on here and defend the ICMA, go for it. If Mark Ott wants to come on here and talk about his uh, $500,000 a year salary and the fact that they're spending thousands of dollars a year on international junkets and they want to, you know, recruit more Polish city managers and not worry about American city managers, then let's have that conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you know what's interesting is that in the in the halls of City Hall, oftentimes when you have public comment, mayors or the electeds open it up to for anybody. And oftentimes when, when John Q. Public comes up, very rarely, I don't know about you, but very rarely do they compliment everything that the city is doing. Oftentimes it's a criticism of what the city is doing, yes. what the city is spending, or what they're not doing enough of. And so even in city government or county government, that aspect is available for people to be able to be critical of their elected government. And so in this particular case, you're opening the door, you're giving these organizations an opportunity to be able to do exactly the same thing. It's like, come in, have your, you know, have your two cents. We can have some dialogue and it can be an opportunity for them to maybe shed some light on something that you were uninformed about or misinformed about. Yeah. Um, so, True. you know, it's there. Well, I'll say this, you know, in one of the episodes I did, I don't want to turn this into a James Freed podcast, but in one of the episodes I did on James Freed, I think it was the sound of ICMA silence. I yeah. put out a, I put a $10,000 bet out there. I said, if somebody wants to take a $10,000 bet or a portion of it, I bet you the ICMA is going to either go to court and lose against James Freed or they're going to settle with James Freed for a large number. And not one person's taking me up on that bet. That includes Lee Feldman, one of the ICMA nut huggers who wants to take a run at me in my comments and then says, bring it on. But then when I bring it on in a comment, he wants to run and hide and act like we're not going to have a conversation about stuff. So, you know, if you want to stand up and defend ICMA, then come on and defend ICMA. You know, he wants to go around and say the ICMA hasn't done anything wrong. Well, I think they've done something wrong. I think when a city manager like Daniel Rosemont is saying, hey, I'd like some help because I'm going to court and having this battle with Hallandale Beach and you get crickets, you get no response. I think that's a problem. When you go and say, hey, I'd like to just simply put my book in your online book catalog and you can't get a response, that's problematic. Yeah. When you have a city manager, when you have a city manager scoring a multi-million dollar settlement for wrongful termination, and you can't even get an invite to an ICMA conference to be a speaker or talk about something like this, which I don't know, Daniel, I'm not saying that I'm representative of all the city management community, but your your podcast episodes on my podcast have had really good listenership. So obviously there's people out there in the city management profession who want to hear what you have to say, but you can't get an invite to the conference and talk about your experience. They can't pay for you to have a, a, a hotel stay and bring you in and give you a speaker honorarium and allow you to uh, you know, advertise your or you know push your books and try to get some sales and also talk about your story. We can't we can't take care of one of our own. I, I, I this whole idea that the ICMA has done nothing wrong is absolute horseshit. You know, <laughs> you know. I think what it, what it is, um, and, and you've been very true to this, and that is. You, you're not necessarily downplaying the profession, but what you're doing is shining a light in the dark corners that oftentimes don't get talked about. And really, that's what it's about. This is not 
casting a negative light on the profession or the professional organization that represents the profession and the professionals within that. But there's also an important element, and that is you've got to be able to let people know, those that are aspiring to get into the profession, those grad students that may be listening to this show, um, to be able to say, look, you've got to understand the whole gamut of what this is about. And when something, when a specific organization or when the industry as a whole is not working the way that it should, don't we have a responsibility to the public that pays taxes to make sure that we confront it and correct it? I think we do. And that's what the, the book was about. That's what your podcast content is about. Um, yeah, it's, it's slanted on criticism because, you know, look, we all watch sports, right? And when our players, our, our favorite players don't play well or when the refs make a bad call, everyone, social media and, you know, um, water cooler talk, everybody expresses their frustration and their criticism. And this is much more important, in my opinion, than whether the, you know, your favorite uh, football yeah. team is playing well. I mean, because this right. is really about providing services to, to the public. So if we, can't, if we can't be open accepting the criticism and really talking about the real issues, then it's almost like, what, what are we what are we doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Daniel, we talked about this. We'll wrap up on this. Did you ever get a chance or get any progress on getting your book, Death of the Public Servant, into the uh, college curriculums? I thought there was a process for that. Is there an update on that front? Yes, I'm waiting. It's actually going to be um, hopefully published in the public administration review. So that's the first step. Once it's okay. published in the PAR, then um, the colleges can actually, it'll ultimately be up to each professor, but but that was the first step. Hopefully it'll come out in uh, 2024 um, when it gets published. So certainly I'll clue you in on, on when that happens, but that was the first step. So that that's really, really exciting and, and um, also really gratifying. Awesome. And, you know, we we need to have you on again for another episode. I don't mind having you on all the time. Hell, we should co-host the podcast <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, Daniel. But uh, we need to have you on to talk about life after city manager life, you know, life after city management, maybe uh, how uh, how individuals who go through a rough stretch can pivot what that process is, you know, because absolutely had, a whole other show, man, for sure. Yeah, you, I mean, you, you had to go through this all on your own, but the reality is, is we got our peers that are being picked off on a, on a, on a weekly monthly basis here. And we need to be, we need to understand that you can't just uh, wait for the rug to get pulled out from you and then start from zero and not know anything about, you know, how to even start, where to even begin. Right. So mm-hmm. it might be worth having you on just to even have a discussion about, Hey, what do you do after you've been fired or after your reputation has been tarnished and your process, your job prospects are, are, are shot to shit. You know what I mean? How do we, how do you get back in the game and provide for your family and, and whatnot? So you've had to go through this process. You've had to start on your own and learn and, and, and put one foot in front of the other, literally pick yourself up out of the dirt. And I think that might be a, a worthy discussion to have at a later date. What are your thoughts on that? Happy to happy to do that. Not happy about the content because it is very difficult, um, but I think it's very necessary to have that conversation simply because most professionals in the public sector arena, you're not thinking that way. When you get into it, you're already thinking, I'm going to retire in this role, maybe not in the same organization, but you're going to retire in this role. The last thing that you are imagining is that you're going to find yourself not, not able to get another job in the space. And at that point, it's like, now, now what do I do? If this is all I've ever done, what do I do next? You know, I'm 50 or whatever your age is, and your resume only reflects roles in the public sector. And that's a very hard pivot. It's definitely something that needs to be discussed. Definitely. I'm not necessarily the expert in it, but I can tell what I've been through um, and what I've learned in the process. And, and I think it'll be um, interesting for people to um, to really do some exploration as it relates to that. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate you having the show. You know, you're my friend. We have yet to meet in person. You're kind of like my rental properties that I have out of state. I've never seen them in person, but I know they're there, you know, and uh, I know if I pick up the phone and give you a call, you'll be there. And I, I thank you for your friendship and your uh, your fellowship over the last several months since we've gotten to know each other. And uh, thank you for being a good guy. And uh, it's just an honor to, to be associated with you. And I'm, it's an honor for me to allow you to have a platform to help share your story because I think it's so 
powerful and so impactful. So uh, you. before you part, before you part for this episode, Daniel, why don't you once again, plug your book and your, your uh, organization and your website. And so I'll put all that in the uh, show notes, but uh, once again, why don't you give the audience an idea of how they can find you? Sure. Well, my book is death of the public servant. It's a true story. So this is no nonfiction. It's a true story. Um, you can find it anywhere where you buy books. It's available on audiobook um, and ebook. So whatever your preference is, um, pick up a copy. I think you'll thoroughly enjoy it. And the organization that uh, I started in 2018 is a nonprofit. We're a 501c3. It's East to West Development Corporation. We do affordable housing development primarily, but also do consulting, owners, reps, um, uh, services, etc. So etwdc.org is the website. I haven't listened to the audiobook. Did you do the own reading? No, I did not. I, I ended up hiring a uh, a uh, professional um, to yeah. do that. Uh, I was encouraged to actually do my own recording, but I don't personally like the sound of my voice, so I didn't think that I could actually do that. And and I I didn't want to you know I didn't want to go cheap. This was an investment. So for people when they think about you know writing a book or or this book, I, I don't make. A lot of money. I've made some, but I don't think I've even recovered everything that I've invested into the the production. Um, so just just putting that out there. Well, when you do the update, right? Because there's got to be an update for the uh, once you get through the whole appeal process. Uh, maybe you can give uh, our buddy Michael Rogers out in California the sexiest uh, city manager voice. That that dude's voice is there. just enviable, man. I I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> he he should be considering he should be considering a pivot into that space if he hasn't already to do audio audio book recordings. He he actually landed a gig. I believe he's an assistant manager, assistant city manager in Fresno now. I think it's Fresno or San Jose. I forget which one off the top of my head. Uh, but yeah, he just uh, went from Tracy to one of those uh, Fresno or San Jose as assistant city manager. He's a great guy, great voice. And uh, yeah, he should do some book readings uh, for a living as a, as a side hustle. Maybe. As a side hustle. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, brother, thank you for being on the show, Daniel. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Uh, we'll be in touch in the future and with uh, some other updates and talk about that other episode about pivoting to uh, life after city management. Uh, I'm Joe Turner. This is the City Manager Unfiltered Podcast, a podcast for city managers and other public sector executives. And uh, if you like the show, you like the program, please rate and uh, review it on your platform of choice, especially those Apple users. And uh, please give it a follow or subscribe. Uh, I appreciate your support. Uh, until next time, happy holidays. Mm-hmm.